might remember that uh, for the last several weeks, going back into the month of June, I believe, that I have mentioned this individual uh, named uh, Dr. Chris Nanakin, who is our missions consultant. Um, he's a missionary with uh, OTAN Overseas Training for Asian Nationals. And in our my speaking of him and sometimes telling you what country he was in when I felt I was permitted to do so, but most of the time being pretty vague about where he is um, and really no details at all about what he's doing because the areas that he goes to are quite precarious, to say the least, even dangerous. And uh, anyway... Um, I want to just point out this morning, even though Dorothy is not here, and we certainly understand all of that, but, you know, we, there's a saying, at least in my family, because a number of us men are golfers, and you may have heard the cliche, you know, from the wives, well, I'm a golf widow, which means when golf season starts, you know, they basically are on their own and by themselves. Now, that's certainly not true in our situation, because it's Barbara first in everything. <clears throat> Amen, poopsie. <laughs> uh, but <clears throat> Dr. Nanakin goes all over the globe, and as I said, sometimes he's gone for months on end. And when he's not doing that uh, <laughs> recreationally, I say facetiously, he's on staff at Liberty University. Um, but in the means of, in the midst of all these travels and everything else, he and Dorothy are separated for all that length of time, and. It's easy to think only about the missionary, the star, the one who the light is on. And we forget about the, all the support people around him and especially about the uh, dear spouse who gives up much of her husband and her companionship with that. And so please extend to Dorothy our true appreciation for that. I'm going to ask Dr. Nanakin to make his way up here. You might remember that when he was with us last year at this time, he did mention that his name Nanakin means... Shiva, which is the king, means the god of death, okay, in Hindu. And um, so I was thinking about that all. I don't know why in the late hours of the night when I should have been sleeping. And I thought, well, that may be the case. Um, but to us, you are 100% mannequin. <laughs> and this morning, I'm sure you started your breakfast with a bananakin. But anyway... <laughs> I know. What are you going to do with Nanakin? You come up with something better, okay? <laughs> Dr. Nanakin, we welcome you, and we're pleased to be here with you, my friend. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Bill and Barbara. Pastor Bill has become a dear friend to me, and uh, even though I travel a little, uh, he is always somehow tagging and following me. And uh, now and then, I would get this picture. It could be of him lying in a stretcher in the hospital at times, and I go, whoa, is this the end? I mean, uh, other times he's on a bike, and he's riding, I think, the Appalachian Trail or whatever. I don't know what he's doing, but what an energy uh, for your pastor and his dear wife. And thank you for recognizing our wives. I think that's very, very true. I heard at the time when Bill Clinton was with Hillary, and uh, this was the time when he just became president, and uh, he was driving, and they needed some kind of a petrol or gas for his vehicle. So he pulled over by this petrol bunk or station, and uh, he got the guy to top up his car. And while, he, while the guy was filling gas, 
Hillary stepped out, went behind, and started talking to this guy, kind of flirtatiously, you know. So Bill was looking in the rearview mirror and kind of thinking, man. And she was, you know, smiling and tapping him and all that, and he was really concerned about this. So when she came back and sat in, she said, Hillary, you, you were talking to the guy who pumps gas? She said, yeah. He said, you know that guy? He, she said, yeah. As a matter of fact, we went to college together. He she said, you went to college with the guy who pumps gas? She said, yeah, anything wrong with that? No, he said, uh, so, so you know him, and how well did you know him? Well, she said, we dated for some time. He said, you dated the guy who was pumping gas? So he said, yeah. I said, pretty nice guy to get to know. Well, <laughs> Bill said, aren't you glad you married me in the White House rather than the guy who was pumping gas? So he said, not really. <laughs> he said, why? He said, because if I married him, he would be in the White House and you'd be pumping gas. <laughs> Ask Barbara. No, no, I must confess, and I'm sure our dear pastor will agree, our wives are the backbone. Um, you know, I have two daughters, uh, Alethea and Karis, grace and truth, full of grace and truth. And there were times I was sharing with Laura that uh, they asked me, wouldn't it be nice in Asia if you had a boy, you know, to inherit all these 2,000, 3,000 books on theology that you have? Or even throw a ball and, you know, wrestle down. I've got to treat these ladies really nice. You know, everywhere you go, I've got to be the gentleman. So I said to Dorothy, you know, it would be nice if we had a boy. But then I thought, you know, if I did have a boy, he'd probably be on drugs. He'll be in jail. He'll be, you know, with the father leaving so much, God was gracious in giving us two ladies. And they are, you know, one just graduated uh, with a pre-med from the Liberty University. The other one is going to go into law. And I said to her, the other day a pastor was visiting and, and he said, we, her mom and I have been trying to find out what she wants to do in college. You know, young people, they really don't know what they want. So I said, Dorothy, leave her alone. Don't do these aptitude tests with her. Once she gets into college, she'll figure out what she wants. She, uh, the pastor came home and he was going around. She said, Karis, well, what do you want to do? She said, I want to be a lawyer. And her mom and I almost fell off the chair. You want to be a what? How can you be a Christian and a... And a I was like, what? You know, uh, uh, and you know, interestingly, uh, this is embarrassing because Mike Minter, the pastor of Reston, was there and he said, and she said, to, you know, Dad, you come back home. And, and I was wondering, maybe her sister you know, wants to go to medicine, she's watching too much of ER and she wants to sue her sister or get into, you know, something. So I'm, I said, why would you want to be a lawyer? And she said, Dad, every time you come back from Asia, you sit and you talk. And you pray for all those child labor that goes on in Asia. Children under 10 working in factories making gunpowder for fireworks in the hundreds. You come back and tell us about trafficking in Cambodia and how you rescued those young girls before they went to the games to be traded as commodity for sex. She said, you know what? It's good to do medicine and be Florence Nightingale, but I want to deal with these accesses of evil. He said, I want to do advocacy. I want to deal with it at the roots. I said, whoa, 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 okay, okay, you can be a lawyer, you know. <laughs> well, I am thrilled to be here. I mean, I, I, I come once a year to Maine. Uh, I'm committed to a camp where I first came uh, 
30 years ago, uh, Living Waters Bible Camp. And that was where when Jack Wurtson brought this young man. Now I'm over 50, but when I was 30, uh, when I was 20, I came to this country to study at Word of Life Bible Institute. I teach there now. I've canceled most of my teaching appointments within the U.S., but there's two things I keep. One is Word of Life I teach there, in alternately in, in Tampa and then in Scroon Lake, New York. And then I love Maine. I wish I could come during the foliage, but I'm usually not there. So during my time overseas, I just come back from a seven-nation trip. I literally take some time out and come and do this camp uh, with them. It's a small camp, and I get some little repose, get back my sanity to get into rhythm, and here I am. And then I've got to love a few churches in Maine, and you have become very dear to me. And your pastor and Laura, the missions committee, uh, Alan and David and the whole group, uh, Mary and Haiti, that goes synonymous. Was that her daughter playing the guitar? That was it, right? I mean, it's just amazing to come back and to reinforce our relationship, particularly to missions. Pastor Bill is gracious to ask me to speak in both services, but knowing uh, me, I've decided to do a two-part uh, message this morning. I got only three points and a poem, so I'm Baptist, okay, so I, I've got to do that. I told you last year the difference between a Baptist and a terrorist. You can negotiate with a terrorist. But anyway, you know, um, I, I want to do this, this, this message and type, some of you just got it. So I'm going to do this. Anyway, so, some, I want to do this message today entitled Engage, Engage. I think it's about time we engaged with God. There is seemingly a disconnect or a disengagement when it comes particularly to missions. For us to be in God's image, he was talking yesterday about Emego Day, but also there is another thing called Missio Day, the mission of God. And here we are in the presence of an awesome God, and we have the welcome, the opportunity to engage in missions. And this morning, for our text, I want to exegete uh, Philippians chapter 1. If you turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, and I want to read a few verses. I'll read half of the section for this first service, and then I'll give you one or maybe one and a half points, and then in the next service, I will, uh, I will complete it, uh, and you will see how sequentially I'll develop that. While you're turning to Philippians chapter 1, let me say this about my Bible. Though the cover is worn and some pages are torn and places bear traces of tears, yet more precious than gold is this book worn and old that can shatter and scatter my fears. As I prayerfully look in this precious old book, many treasures and pleasures I see, many promises of love from my Father above who is nearest and dearest to me. This book is a guide. It's a friend by my side. It will lighten and brighten my day. And each promise I find soothes and gladdens my mind as I preach it and teach it each day. To this book I will cling. Of its worth I will sing, though many crosses and losses be mine. For I cannot despair those surrounded by care while possessing this blessing divine. Great God, with wonder and with praise on all your works I look. Yet your wisdom, power, and grace shine brightest in your book. 
The stars that in their courses roll have much instruction given, but only your word instructs my soul on how to get to heaven. The word of God. You've got to learn it, love it, so that we can live it out. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul is writing to his most favorite church at Philippi. Very quickly, there's three things that are unique about the church at Philippi that has endeared Paul to them and them to Paul. So while thinking of the church here, Evangelical Free Church, and you're wonderful people, I thought of this passage and I said, God has shared this when I get here. They were unique in at least three ways. Number one, this is the only church that Paul writes a letter to that he has nothing to prove. Most of his letters, he begins by establishing his apostleship, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, because that was challenged. There were charlatans running around. There were people who questioned his apostleship. But here's the only letter he writes to friends. He doesn't even start with Paul the apostle. He simply says, here I'm here, doulos. I am your slave. I'm your servant. A doulos is one who's lost his will in the others. And that was the Lord Jesus. Paul had no will but to do that of Jesus Christ. On Acts chapter 9, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he asked two questions and that settled it for him. Question number one, who art thou, Lord? been struck by that light on his high horse he was dropped down he recognized he was dealing with deity yesu messiah but more than that jesus introduced himself and you see how lord comes first who art thou lord i am jesus whom you persecuted paul technically was persecuting who the christians brilliant man of his day recognized jesus we killed and buried him how can i be persecuting him Ecclesiology 101, Christ and his church are inseparable. You touch one, you mess with the other. And that was how Paul coined this Corpus Christi, this body of Christ. He was the one who put that notion. Peter did, none of the other disciples did. Paul was the one who introduced the body of Christ concept and where we get the church and development of members. He almost institutionalized something that was organic. So... We have still have debates in Christianity on a higher level whether Jesus was the founder of the church or was it Paul who organized it. Jesus seems to have promoted a movement and uh, where anything that's an organism needs to be organized. You can't do one without the other and I think Paul provided a framework for governance in the church that most of us follow today. But this is a church that he didn't have to establish his credentials. They were friends. And I'm a friend among you, and I'm so glad your friendship with me over even just three, four years now has developed so deeply. Last night was wonderful as we sat around a meal and just shared hearts about situation, just the pulse of what's going on around us, and just giving our heartfelt opinions. Some of us frustrated, others of us just exasperated, some of us just giving up and saying, is there any hope? Is, is, is it Armageddon? Or, you know, what is going on? But in all that to discover that Christ in us is that hope of glory. That yes, God is going to intervene and do for us above and beyond our imagination. What a wonderful evening that was. I went to bed just thanking God for a community of faith here in Waterville where there's so much of postmodern and secular humanistic thinking. We stand as a beacon here, a light shining faithfully. Thank you.
Paul didn't have to prove his apostle. Second thing, we, uh, there's something about this church. Paul had no doctrinal heresy to correct. You know, most of the churches, you, you read, you know, Galatians had Judaizers. You know, these legalists who came and overthrew grace, Paul had to write and correct them. Take Colossians, they had some Gnostic heresy, you know, this emanation, you become, you know, elite group who knew God, hotline to God stuff. And he had to deal with those guys. Corinth, we won't even go there. They had problems, trust me. I mean, you go to every church, they had problems. This is the only letter Paul writes to a church. He didn't have to come with his stick and correct them. Why? Because they were united. They were one. There was one situation that happens in every church. You know, there's two ladies in chapter 4, verse 2, couldn't get along with each other. Udio and Sintichi he says, come and go see Clem and get that over with. But by and large, this whole letter is peppered with joy and rejoicing. Joy and, re- and that's the theme, unity and joy in the book of Philippians. The third thing, that re- the reason I, this book came to my mind, was the church that you are to me. You know, I honestly don't know about my support. Somebody takes care of it. But I fly to about at least 11 countries every year in Asia. Just coming back from Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos. I was in Russia, started a work among the ISIS in Istanbul. And uh, working all the way to China, North Korea, and so on. And you have participated in mission by giving. I honestly don't know. I should ask somebody how much you give or what you give. But this, did you know, how many churches did Paul plant? A whole bunch of churches. The guy is in prison. Anytime the door would open, an executioner will come and behead the guy. And you know what this church does? It's a poor church. Read 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. They took up an offering and sent it to Paul. Paul sees Epaphroditus, this dear guy, bringing him finances. Did you know this was the only church that financially supported Paul? I mean, they put their money where their mouth is. You know what I mean? And Paul looks at Epaphroditus. He says, you know what? I'm going to sit down and write a thank you letter. What you and I read now as the book of Philippians is nothing but Paul's missionary thank you letter to a church. Did you know that? If he didn't take the time and write a thank you letter, you would have one book less in the New Testament. You have 26. Because Philippians would be missing. Isn't that amazing? Hey, you're listening to me today. Are you a thankful person? Better express it. I don't know how you do it. Maybe, you know, the other day I called my daughter two or three times. She wouldn't answer the phone. So I said, Dorothy, what's wrong? I've been a- I'm calling Aletia. I just wanted to see how she's doing in her finals. She's not answering. You know, moms always take up for the kids. And she's, you know, she may be in the library. I said, yeah, but, oh, she must be studying, you know. She must have put that out in silence or whatever. Eventually, in the evening, she, she picks the phone call. Says, Dad, you called. I said, yes, I called you three or four times. Why didn't you pick the phone up? You know what she said? She asked me, Is, was it important? <laughs> I am your father. If I cut the bill, you'll find out if it was important. (laughs) And I'll never forget what she said after that. You know what she said? If it was important, why didn't you text me? (laughs) I mean, that's the language young people respond to. So I text her from now if it's important. (laughs) 
you know, again, church, I, I don't know what's your most effective way of communication. Let's not get into this media stuff. My, my point is this. Whether you sit down and write a letter, send a text, do an email, or send voicemails, or Facebook, whatever. Communicate. Communicate. You love somebody, say it. Express it. Because we may not have them along with us for a long time. With that introduction, I want to just show how did Paul engage with the church. And I want to do three things today. First two at least in this service. I want to show you what he engaged in in terms of his relationship with God and the gospel. We have been entrusted with the gospel. Good news. How do we communicate that good news? So what is the gospel, number one? Why do we need to communicate that? And then how do we communicate that, particularly across culture? So I'm going to build the what by way of definition, the why by way of motivation, and the how in terms of multiplication or exponential to work it out in ways that will be effective today, particularly across cultures. Now, let me read Philippians chapter 1. A very, very familiar passage. Most of you, you memorized it, I'm sure. He says, Paul and Timothy. I wonder why he drags Timothy into this. Did Timothy write anything in this letter? Paul was a mentor. Paul brought into case and consideration those he loved. Do you have a mentor? Are you a mentor to someone? Do you include them in their ministry? Good pastoral leaders always develop team. Even in his dying moments, Paul was about team. Paul and Timothy. Notice how he introduces himself, servants of Christ Jesus. And he calls them at Philippi to all the saints. Hagioi. This means those who are set apart completely for Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi. Notice their geographical position is at Philippi. Their spiritual status is in Christos, in Christ. Most of our songs we sang this morning were so worshipful to recognize who we are in Christ. He says with the overseers and the deacons, he divides these word and sacrament from the managerial and administrative, but both of them have critical spiritual leadership over that flock in Philippi. He introduces the two Christian virtues that set aside any community of faith. Grace, that word charis, where Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 15:10, I am what I am by the grace of God. That grace by which it all began, that grace that will lead us home, Paul begins with grace and ends with grace. What a wonderful thing. It's all about grace. He says, and peace. Peace is a byproduct. If we are justified by faith, we have that peace with God. It's a byproduct, Romans 5.1. And he says, from God our Father and from our Lord. There you go, kurios, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, our pastor introduced this service speaking about the fatherhood of God and the importance of him being not just creator but redeemer, but the giver of all life, the father in whom there is no variation of change. Again, we were talking about several things in a conference last week, but I was saying, you know, I think the biggest concern for me in America is the homes, the fragmentation of the family. We have invisible fathers and single mums running this country. And we are going to implode if we don't emphasize fatherhood. Now, you know, I'm not a feminist, I'm not a, a male chauvinist, but I'll tell you what, men need to step up in churches. 
There used to be a movement, I don't know if it's still there, called Promise Keepers when I was studying here in the 80s. Now we have, I think, iron sharpens iron or, I don't know, men of valor and other things. We really need to do that. You know, every I teach religions at Liberty University. We have many religions. Islam, for example, has 99 names for Allah. Hinduism has 33,000 gods. Take your pick. You know, the only thing, there is one religion that dares to call God Father. And that's Christianity. And that's because of the Son. I think we need to cultivate faith in the fatherhood of God. Another needed emphasis that we can reciprocate. Now, this whole passage is Paul's prayer. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you, always in every prayer of mine, making mention of you with joy. Did you see that? Every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy. It's a kind of a comprehensive and an exclusive statement. With Always in every prayer for you in particular, I, I do this with joy. He says in verse 5, he gives you the reason. He starts with the word because of your partnership. Your partnership. This is why I thought of this passage when I thought I'll come here. Your partnership. I believe a missionary is an extension of the pastoral staff of a local church. Missionaries are doing somewhere else what is our commission to do globally. And we need to partner with our missionaries. I hope that as a result of this, you will have a better understanding of missions, what it means to be a sending church, fulfilling the great commission of Jesus Christ. He says, you are partners with me in the gospel. And from the very first day, I wonder what Paul had in mind when he said first day. Any ideas? Where would we go to find out what Paul meant when he wrote to the Philippi Christians and said, from the first day? We've got to go to Luke's narrative. We've got to go to Acts and say, what was the time Paul first went to Philippi? And that's Acts 16. You know the narrative and story that Luke pens as to the circumstances in which Paul landed in Philippi. He says, from the very first day. He never forgot the first day. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, you remember the first day? The first day you fell in love? Mm-hmm. You remember the first day when you came to our church here and you said, wow, this is a great place. The excitement. Hey, do you remember the first day you came to know Jesus Christ? As You you remember that? The joy and the excitement. You want to read the whole Bible that night. You want to tell everybody about Jesus. You couldn't excite. You know? And what happened? You met Christians. Ah, oh, sorry, never mind. You know, you, you say, well, what happened to the joy of that salvation? Paul never graduated from the joy of salvation. Now, you may not lose your salvation, but you can lose the joy of your salvation. People can rob you of that joy. There are many joy stealers. Trust me. And what we are here for church and why do we work? So that we renew that joy of the Lord. It becomes our strength. Nehemiah 8 and verse 10. We need to understand the joy. Don't lose your joy. Are you excited? Three of you. Are you excited? Yeah, yeah. This is yes, this is no. Don't do what those Indians do. You know, maybe yes, maybe no. All right, are you excited? Yeah, someone not excited. Look at them and say, get with the program, you know. All right, good. They, he was there from the very first day. He says, and I'm sure that this, of this, that he who began a good work in you, he would be faithful to complete it, even unto the day of Christ Jesus. 
Did you notice Paul's calendar? You check his calendar. I, I live off this iPhone. I'm sorry. I have a relationship with my phone, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, from the very first day, I've got this diary. It's crazy. My secretary, every time I, I don't even like to open the calendar because he's kind of factored in another meeting. I'm like, oh, come on, stop it, Elizabeth. She keeps putting on meetings. You know, Paul lived in such joyfulness because Paul's calendar, you open up Paul's calendar, there were only three days. What kind of a calendar is this? Only three days. Yeah, he had only three days in his calendar. You know what the three days were? The first day when he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. When he introduced Christ to people, he always remembered the first day. Secondly, today, now. He who began a good will be faithful. Now, from the very first day until today. And Paul, if he wrote Hebrews, was very clear. He says, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Paul lived in the joy of the moment. I find it very difficult coming back to America. We're always living for the next best thing. Or to use Madonna's, Madonna's word, next best fling, you know. We just want that next. Everything is the, the next thing, the next thing. When will we learn, like Henry Nouwen says, to enjoy salvation now, here and now? What we have is now. We may not have tomorrow. And we worry about tomorrow all the time. Most of the things we worry about for tomorrow never happen. Did you know that? Psychiatrists tell you that. But we still worry about it. Why? Because we love to worry. Have you met people like that? They're always worried, worried, worried. If there's nothing to worry about, they're worried that there's nothing to worry about. <laughs> Worries like tomorrow's mice eating today's cheese. You know, what, what do you gain out of that? Paul says, I live for the moment. But there was a third day. What's the first day? When he met Jesus. Sec, uh, the second day on his calendar, today, opportune, carpe diem, he sees the day. But there was another day, that day, when he appears. Paul lived in the light of the coming of Jesus Christ, perhaps today. Wonderful way to live. The things of this world will go strangely dim when you realize you're going to see Jesus face to face. Not on Facebook, by the way. Face to face. What a wonderful relationship. You have hey are you looking forward to that day or are you caught up with the things of today paul always worried i think paul was worried about america before it even found it because he talks about the peril of three things he talks about the peril of our times boy are we living in last days if paul said last days we must be living in last minutes now he was worried about the peril of times you know what else paul was worried about the peril of things materialism our golden calf for today. We've made it ourselves. We worship it. And Paul was more than the peril of our times and the peril of things. Paul was more concerned about the peril for truth. And we need to be. We need to be. I was sharing with the group, you know, something which Vance Havner, I heard him say at one time. Today, truth is on the scaffold and wrong is on the throne. Think of that. Truth on the scaffold and wrong on the throne. What a way we are living in this country where right is wrong and wrong is right. That's a scary time. He writes this letter. He's so burdened for this church he loves. And he says, you know, from the first day, it's right for me, verse 7, to think of this all. Why? Because I have you where? In my heart. Isn't that a good place to have each other? In your heart. 
Always in every prayer of mine, he says for you, I pray. Because you, you're in my heart. Again, he says, for you are all better tra- participants, partakers. You share with me of the grace hmm, and in my imprisonment. You see, there's a thing called suffering grace. Where God helps us to endure tough times together. Together. We were never meant as a church. When one part suffers, what? All parts suffer. Uh, lately, I kind of broke, I uh, had an airline fracture on my toe, and I realized how important my toe is. It's just um, unbelievable. I never even cut my nails most of the time. And I suddenly, I'm like nurturing my toe, you know. And, I, and I, everything revolved around my toe. I had to raise it up, even pulling a sheet. It's just painful. And then I really found out two days ago, I got something called gout or something. I was like, what is gout? You put it in your throat or throw it out? What do you do? They said, no, you have to suffer with it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank God for gout, you know. But these are the little things. But my whole body was hurting. I couldn't think properly when these things happened. And Paul in Corpus Christi says the same thing. Those parts you think that are little and need least are probably the most significant to pay attention. Listen, if you're in our church today and say, ah, I'm just a member, I just come here. Don't do that. You are an integral part of this community of faith. We need you. You are participants in grace and the gospel and in suffering. That's how a church pulsates in mission. When we realize that none of us can live and die alone. We belong, not just to Jesus. Because of that, we belong to one another. That's what church is. And Paul understood that koinonia, the understanding of fellowship. He says, I'm in prison, but you know what? It's for the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. He says, how I yearn or long, my heart throbs for you all. And he uses this, the affections of our Lord Jesus Christ. Later on in Colossians, he talks about the afflictions of Christ. Here he's talking about the affections of Christ. This, this love that oozes out because it's Jesus' love that overflows on people all around you. Wow. What a way to love one another. We, I mean, you know, who can love Pastor Bill? Only with Jesus' love, you know. You know, that's the way it is. You say, well, there's a member. I can't stand that person. Well, you know what? Cheer up. Maybe they don't stand you either. But you say, I don't know how I can love that person. They tick me off. Every time I see them, mm, I carry guns, you know, whatever. Listen, maybe we can't love one another. That's why we have the love of Christ that constrains us. Does that make sense? It is Jesus' love. It's the day that love that belongs to Christ now belongs to me and flows out to others. What a way to do church. Love on people. That's my daughter's phrase, love on them. I'm like, that's not even good English. Dad, that's what we use. Okay, love on them. Okay, hear this, verse 9. It's my prayer that your love, and notice he's just not into the lovey-dovey emotionalism stuff, that your love may abound more and more in what? Class? More and more in? You're looking at me. You haven't seen an Indian before? Come on. (laughs) Look in your Bibles. And by the way, I'm the real Indian, okay? Columbus came looking for me and found the other guys with feathers. So that's not a joke. That's history. With knowledge and with all, I like that next word. Not just love. Love that's grounded in knowledge. Knowledge that develops in discernment. How we need discernment today. How we need discernment. 
It's very, very important. We live in an IT world with AI, artificial intelligence that just downloads stuff. Today, the mother of, you know, father of all wisdom and mother of all invention is WWW, you know, worldwide. Ask Google, you know. We Google this, Google that. How about Googling God? Asking him for wisdom. Lord, I need discernment. Did I do this or that? Did you see how Paul's love was not just shallow, sentimental stuff? Ah, I see, I love you, you know. No. He said, you, that love should be rooted in the knowledge of truth. And that truth should give you discernment for life. What a way to grow a church. Great prayer. You can't be wrong if you pray this prayer for your church. It's in the Bible. Verse 10. So that you may approve what is excellent. He realized that our battle is not between the good and the bad. Our battle is between the good and the very best. He says, what is excellent? So that you may be. Here's the word again. And I love, uh, is it Allison who recited those things? It's amazing. She recited from Philippians 2, 15 and 16. We live in a world of crooks and perverts. A crooked and perverted world. Wow. We need discernment. Why? So that we'll be pure and blameless. Paul, again, reiterates this when he says, you know, crooked. He said, you've got to be pure and blameless. The problem with our church today, churches today, is we can't reprove the world because we are not pure and blameless. We live in a broken and a divided world, don't we? But maybe the real culprit is a broken and divided church. That's why this book on unity. Let's get together, Paul says. Let's go for what is excellent. That's Christ-likeness. And be pure and blameless. Look how he finishes verse 10. For the day of Christ. You remember that? Third day on Paul's calendar. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. There should be an amen because he finishes his prayer in that section. What is the gospel? Are you a bearer of the gospel? You say, Chris, what, what do you mean gospel? Did you notice the number of times Paul talks about the gospel? I want to show you three times for this service and then I'll show you the other three times in the next service. The seven times in this section... Paul talks about gospel, 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 gospel. Number one, look at verse five. Because of your partnership in the gospel. You got a highlighter, you got a pen, mess up your Bible. Underline that. The partnership in the gospel. Highlight it. Have you highlighted that? The other day, my daughter said, Dad, can I highlight my hair? I said, how do you? I mean, I highlight my page. How do you highlight her hair? A new language, anyway. So highlight that. Partnership in the gospel, verse 5. Look at verse... Hey, did you, did you see verse 7? He says, ah, it's my pr- imprisonment. I'm in here for the defense and the what? And the what? Class, you, you answer quickly, we finish early. We say quickly. The defense and the what? Yeah, confirmation of the gospel. Did you underline that? Okay, number one, he talks about partnership in the gospel. Number two confirmation of the gospel look at verse 12 which i stopped reading at you i want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really served for what number three the advancement or the progress of the gospel these are three things i want to leave with you first of all what is the gospel by definition it's very simple let's not complicate it the gospel in one word is jesus a savior You see, our greatest problem in life is not economics. Jesus took care of people's needs. But that was not the primary reason Jesus came. 
Our greatest problem was not, is not governmental administration. We're in a mess. But that was not what Jesus came for. Yeah, the government was upon his shoulder. But that was not primarily why Jesus came. Health. The biggest thing now is health care. Everybody's worried about what we're going to do with the health care. Well, Jesus was a great healer. The divine physician. But that was not the primary reason Jesus came. Brothers and sisters, our greatest problem is sin. And that's why God sent a savior. The gospel is the message of salvation. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. You shall call his name Jesus. The angel said to his earthly father. For he shall save his people from their sins. Emmanuel. God is with us as savior. Jesus himself attested to that. In Luke 19 and verse 10. The son of man has come to seek and to what? Save that which was lost. Paul's greatest treatise, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world for what? To save sinners of whom I am chief. Let's never forget in all our ministry and affairs that our greatest need is salvation. That's why God sent the Savior. The gospel is the message of salvation. Have you shared it recently? Gossip the gospel. Wherever you go, share, tell people, don't lose that joy of salvation. And Paul says, I am here for one particular reason. I want you to know, and you are partners with me. For what? The gospel. And I can go on. He talks about a life worthy of the gospel, strive together for the faith of the gospel. I'm here for apology or the defense of the gospel. It's just about gospel, 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 gospel. It's like the missionary went to the Chinaman and the Chinaman said, you know, why is it every time I talk to you, you talk about Christ, 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 Christ. The missionary said to the Chinaman, well, what do you have for breakfast? He said, rice. So what are you going to have for lunch? He said, rice. He said, what's your plans for dinner? He said, rice. He said, why every time I ask you, you say rice, rice, rice. He says, in China, rice gives us life. He said, that's right. Christ gives me life. If Christ is our life, verse 21, for me to live is what? Christ. Then we need to share the gospel. In this service, I want to challenge you to reach people who are near you, who are like you. Now, Maine, you are a special species in this part of the world. It's not just because of lobster and blueberries, okay? There are several things that are unique about Maine. I, I love Tom Obi in Bangor Baptist. I just like to hear him speak as a mena about parking his car and eating lobster. You know, <laughs> it's, it's like a new dialect for me. Are you an unreached people group? You know, what is this? So it's very interesting that in Maine, and I want to illustrate this, friends. I, I, I think you must realize that there are people around us who have never heard the gospel. Now, I know the Mayflower came floating in this part of, the, uh, of America. I understand the Haystack Revival, Yale, Harvard, and all those schools in the eastern. I mean, they were all started as schools for preachers. Did you know that? That's, where they sta- that's why they started. But look what's happened. We've come to a world, and we were discussing this yesterday, where we are so post, post, postmodern, we have lost every absolute. So that morality has become relative. We are three generations of social security people. We are three generations away from people 
who shared the gospel over a meal every night in families here. And you meet people across the street who do not know the name Jesus apart from a swear word. You know what I'm talking about? I was telling the group yesterday, you go to them and talk about the Bible. And, you know, there were these two naked people in a garden with a talking snake and an apple. And that's how it all started. They're like, what did you drink, you know? I mean, seriously, people, they don't understand it. Am I right or wrong? Church, let me ask us. What are you doing to reach those who are near you and they're so much like you? Unless you start there, you are not going to reach people, and I'm going to talk about this, who are not like you from Kobe College. We have not gone to the nations. America, God has blessed you so much. He's given us the Great Commission. He's given us resources. Trust me. Every time I land into D.C., I think, wow, this must be the promised land compared to Laos or any other country I work in. We have it so good in this country. How would you share the gospel to those who are not like you from other countries, from Sierra Leone or China? There's a whole influx of Chinese now. It's amazing. You know, and some of these mega Chinese have a lot of money. And they're coming to study. We actually gain a lot of money by having Chinese students. Three times an average American student we get from Chinese. And they want to stay in homes. And you can make a lot of money by having a Chinese lodger in your house. Very interesting. And China's taking over population-wise. They want to go to all these countries. My mother read somewhere that one out of every five is Chinese. So she stopped at four kids. Never, never mind. Never, never mind. But, you know, how, how are you... You got it? All right. How are you going to reach people who are not like you, but have come near you? America is becoming a melting pot. I used to say toss salad, but actually it's a melting pot. Every nation is coming to this country. We are not going to the nations. God is so gracious. He is sending the nations to our backyard. Do you know how to share the gospel? It's all about the gospel. Paul says, you are partners with me with the gospel. Now, follow this. You are here. The challenge is to reach people in your postmodern, human, secularistic mind worldview who are near you and like you. I am reaching those who are not near us, you, and not like you. How many of you have been to North Korea or Bhutan? Okay, so I'm reaching people who are not like us and who are not near us. And you say, well, that's Chris Nyanik, and I'm glad you're there. I'll pray for you. Okay. I'm asking about an intermediate step. Unless you reach people who are near you and like you with the gospel, then you'll be able to reach people who are near you but are not like you who've come near you. Does that make sense? Then you can reach people who are not near you and not like you. You got it? Three points. That's my message. You can go home. <laughs> so, you said, Nanakin, just slow down. I mean, how do we go about doing it? Well, let me tell you in five, ten minutes. Listen. Paul was concerned about the gospel. Partnership with the gospel. The gospel is like a wheel. And it's turning. I have news for you from overseas. The gospel is doing very well. Just in case Europe and America and North America think that, oh, church is crumbling. That is not true. Globally, Christianity is growing. It's exploding. Trust me. You can't even contain the growth in South America. In Asia, it's unprecedented. The underground church is, in China, has come above the ground. It's amazing. 
I was training 38 leaders in Hunan province. And do you know how many Christians in that one people group in Hunan province? 1.1 million Christians. And I had the awesome opportunity to take the cream of the crop and pour into them. 38 leaders came. They smuggled them in to Daqing. And what an honor to train them how to plant churches. They're like eagle tellers. That's a lot of people. That's mega church, 1.5 million. You should see the leader, John Lasser. I mean, it's an amazing guy. He sneezes, everybody gets a cold. I mean, what an influence. <laughs> I mean, the guy's passionate, really. They, they just, just have that patron-client system. They just follow the leader. So the church is doing very well. But how do we do that? How can you and I partner with the gospel? I'm glad you asked. Number one. Apart from partnership the gospel, Paul says another thing. He says, I am here for the confirmation of the gospel. Did you read that word confirmation? And you wonder, well, what is that word confirmation? Verse 7, the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. Now, this church is the issue I feel in America. I think even if people hear the gospel, they want confirmation. Very simply, does it work? Does it really work? You know what I mean? Some of you have unsaved loved ones in your home and thinking, I know you go to church. I know Jesus died for me and all that. So I've heard the gospel. Don't bring religion into this. But does it really work? You're thinking. You know, I have sometimes the need, and usually my assistant does it, but I have to book tickets on the internet. Have you done that? You go to an airline and you book tickets. So I'm flying from D.C. straight into Beijing, one flight. And they ask you, which airline, what's your route, which timing, are you happy with this, and all that stuff, put your mileage in it. Then they come to the section where you put in your credit card details. You remember that? So you punch in your credit card, secret number, three codes, okay. And they say the charge from China is $1,823. Confirm? You're like, well, let me check again. So you go and check the schedule, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Confirm? Yeah, well, let me check it. You know, eventually, you hit that confirm button and the thing disappears. You're like, oh my word, I just got robbed $18,000, $1,800. You know, scares you when you do that. Right? Till you open your email. And what do you read? Confirmation. And they give you a number. And it's then you realize, you know what? I booked my ticket. It does work. You know, church, here I say this, this service, people around us are watching. They want confirmation. Does this gospel work or not? That should motivate us. They see what we believe, they hear about it, and they see how we behave. And there is what I call a credibility gap. Mind the gap. There's this credibility gap. And this credibility gap prevents the confirmation of the gospel. Number three, partnership of the gospel. Number two, confirmation of the gospel. And number three, he talks very, very briefly, but importantly, he says, whatever has happened to me has turned out for what? Verse 12, for what? Advancement of the gospel. You know, Paul was here in prison. Can you see him? Somewhere near Rome, around 51, maybe 55 AD. He's in Rome. And he knows it's going to end for, for his deliverance. He says, by your prayers and the supply of the Spirit, I know this is going to turn to my... And I believe Paul was released. But he's in Rome. 
Anytime he could be killed. And Paul says, this is not a coincidence. This is according to plan. Now imagine this. Two years the guy has been in prison already, beaten to a pulp with rods and all that stuff. He's been two years in the ship, shipwrecked. He was a literal basket case. They dropped him in a basket. And he's shipwrecked. And then he comes, two more years in prison. How would you feel? Think of that. He's sitting there. So we go to him and say, Paul, such potential that's untapped. You wish to send handkerchiefs and heal people. Now look at you. You're praying. Nothing seems to happen. Prayers unheard. Are you in a situation like that this morning? You feel you're trapped. You're blocked. You're kind of hitting a hard wall. What do you do? So we say, Paul, we're so sorry what happened to you. He goes, what are you talking about? Well, you know, whatever's happened to you. He says that. Yanakin, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. I can do all things to Christ. My God's going to supply all your needs. You're like, what is wrong with this guy? You know why? Paul had perspective. He said, whatever's happened to me, there's only one thing it's all about. It's not about me. Despicable me. Part three. He says, it's about the gospel. When we take our minds off ourselves, when we think it's all about Jesus, it's about the good news that has been entrusted to me, your whole perspective change. My toe doesn't even hurt while I'm preaching. Why? I don't know. Maybe I'm not thinking about it. I'm excited. I get to share the good news with you today. Isn't that exciting? I love it. Paul's mind is about the gospel. And he says, oh, by the way, whatever's happened to me has turned out for the furtherance, for the progress, for, I like the word, advancement. It reminds me of Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I will build my church. And you know what? The gates of Hades, all the authorities of hell will not stop it. Church, the gospel is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. Nothing can stop the good news going to the ends of the earth. The question is, are you and I going to partner with it? You're going to be part of it? Are you going to watch it? I'm telling you, I challenge America. You have outsourced everything. To Bangalore, India, I think. But listen, don't outsource the gospel. It belongs to us. Take it to those who are near you and who are like you. Take it to those who are not near you, who are sent very close to you. They're not like you. And pray for those and push people out of the... To go to those who are not like you, who are not near you. And live a life worthy so it will be the confirmation of the gospel. You know why? Chapter 4 and verse 22. You remember how he ends this letter? He ends it with grace and he says, Oh, by the way, Caesar's household, from Caesar's family, they say hi to you. Can you believe this? Because of these guards, Paul had gossiped the gospel that people in Caesar's household had become what? Christians. Do you see that? Whatever's happened to me is not accidental. It has turned out for the progress, the advancement, even to Caesar. What if you and I engage with the gospel? The gospel's turning. It's unstoppable. The challenge today is would you engage? We live in a culture that doesn't want to engage. My challenge as I pray for you today, and I'll do the other three next service, but let me just pray for you. But here's my challenge. It's all about the gospel. The gospel is Jesus, his death, burial, resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 to 4. 
the gospel, Paul realized, Romans chapter 1, verse 17, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. It's power. Dunamis. It'll, it's dynamite. It's going to blow up if you only share it. Gossip the gospel. Would you take it? Would you be a bridge? My prayer and challenge this morning is for us here at Evangelical Faith Free to be bridges. There will be boundaries you will have to cross. There will be barriers. But will you be a bridge? You say, Nanakin, what do you mean be a bridge? I'm talking about a living bridge. Here we are in a church that preaches the gospel, right? A pastor who faithfully teaches us God's word, even the Old Testament I hear. Listen, would you take the text and live it out in your context? A bridge has to connect two ends. If not, it's not a bridge. Imagine a bridge is going from here and stopping there right in the middle. Like, what is that? It has to land on the other side. Here you are in church. As you walk out of this door in a minute, would you be a bridge? Would you connect what you hear in that real life context, text and context? Number one, a bridge has to connect two ends. Living word of God with the life of Christ, wherever you are. Secondly, a bridge has to be strong. The winds of adversity will blow and want to bring it down. Be strong in the Lord this morning. What a way to be strong together. We are stronger together, church. We need unity. That's strength. A bridge needs to be strong. You ready for the third one? You want to be a bridge? You want to be a bridge? Wait till my third point. You may not agree. A bridge must be willing to be stepped on and walked all over. You willing? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so very much for the opportunity to be living bridges, the gospel and culture. People have different ways of living. But Lord, you have entrusted us with the gospel of Jesus. May we be bridges to take the gospel to those around us who are near us. Sometimes they are not like us. So that there would be people who are not near us and not like us would share of our testimony from Waterville. If God has spoken to you this morning and said, Nyanakin, Chris, just pray for me. I don't know how. I know it's going to cost me. But God has spoken to me through his word. His Holy Spirit has nudged me. I want to be a bridge. God giving me the opportunity. I don't want to be ashamed of the gospel. Because I know people are looking for confirmation of the gospel. People are looking for the progress of the gospel. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Pray for me. I want to be a bridge and share the gospel. Whatever it takes. If that's your prayer, I'd like to pray for you. Stand right where you are, quietly, to your feet. If you don't mean it, do not stand. But if God the Spirit has spoken to you, and you say, I want to be a living bridge. Connect text to context. I want to be a living bridge. I want to take the gospel so that my life will be a confirmation. That it really works. It is the power of God under salvation. Just pray for me. I want to do my very best. I'm not a preacher. I'm not ordained. I'm not called. But you know, I really want to communicate the gospel, the good news that Jesus saves. Stand right to your feet and I want to pray for you.
Father God, I pray for those of us standing in church this morning. Lord, we are standing on trembling feet because we don't have the power to stand, particularly as we go out to a world that is trying to push Christians down. Lord Jesus, we stand because we want your Holy Spirit to make us stronger together as a local church so that we will gossip the gospel. We will be those living bridges and break down every barrier and cross every boundary, whatever it takes, to see Jesus Christ proclaimed and formed in people. Thank you for what you're going to do. I pray that you will take our commitment this morning and lead us in paths of righteousness. Could we stand together as a church? Father, I thank you for our church this morning. Thank you for our membership. Thank you for our leadership who shepherd our souls. Lord, help us to love them because they will give an account one day. Lord, help us to uphold them in times like this. Times where truth is on the scaffold and wrong seems to be on the throne. Give our leaders, Lord, the discernment they need. Help us to love on them. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you're doing in this wonderful church, a beacon in a dark area, shining as lights in a world of crooks and perverts. Help us to be pure and blameless until we see Jesus face to face. And all God's people said, Amen. Go in peace and live dangerously.